Hi, I'm Owen. I'm Chris. And this is Dead War Gamer Society. Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, today, it's going to be our first episode that we've had with a guest, uh, which I'm super excited about. We're going to be talking about Guild Ball, and our guest is going to be Lance. Um, a lot of Guild Ball fans and Guild Ball community members might know Lance because he ran the podcast The Pitch, and he was a well-known pundit in the it's a Midwest area of the United States. Um, Lance has played just about every faction that exists for Guild Ball. And um, if you picked up Guild Ball at the big year at Adepticon where Steamforge had that huge booth, you most likely got your first demo of the game or sales pitch of the game from Lance. Um, so I'm really excited to have him here while we talk about Guild Ball. Lance said... Hey, hi, Lance. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> there he is. Hello. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you doing, man? I'm well. Thank you for that kind introduction. That's very nice of you. Did I miss anything? Like anything that's important there? Oh, no, nothing that's important. Just, uh, you know, little, you know, ego boost for myself, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> I think a, f a few UK people know me too. I went over to SteamCon uh, one time in Manchester uh, and worked the Muse booth over there. Um, and, and they've met me over that direction beyond that. Yeah, it's probably just the pitch podcast and Midwest events and whenever I would go to bigger events beyond that. But that's about it. I ran demos at Gen Con and at Adepticon and I think that's mostly it. But yeah. Sweet. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you. Well, thank <laughs> Before you Before we uh, jump into the meat of Guild Ball. Uh, we're just going to give a chat about what we've been up to for the past week or so. Oh, of course. <laughs> how's everything been going? Uh, good. I'm still uh, plowing away on those brood models I was painting last week. I finally got uh, most of it done. Just got final touch-ups to go. And I'm uh, eyeballing some uh, other new Dark Age models to throw on the table after that. So slow and steady, but uh, full steam ahead. Uh, Lance, what, what have you been up to in terms of hobby stuff? Uh, for hobby, I've... Uh... Well, now, you know, when Guild Ball kind of died, uh, <laughs> which we'll talk about, obviously, in this show, um, at the beginning of this year, uh, had a bit of a COVID scare, uh, came out of it and decided that I wanted to put more time and effort into doing the hobbying aspect and painting and getting better at that. So I finally had some friends who had been badgering me for a very long time to get into Warhammer 40k. Uh, so I finally have gotten into that game. I sold off all my War Machine stuff. Finally, I've gotten all of that out of my house as much as possible, minus the stuff I wanted to hold on to for Dungeons and Dragons miniatures. Don't mind you. Um, and and bought into 40k. So I'm playing uh, Space Wolves uh, in the new ninth edition of 40k. So I've been building and painting those models using primarily contrast paints, the uh, GW contrast paint style, and it's been turning out incredibly well. And I've been using it kind of as a therapy tool for getting my hand-eye coordination back after coming out of the hospital, so it's been great. Right on. Sorry to hear about the COVID scare, man, but oh, glad yeah. you, you're, uh, you turned the corner on that. Yeah, no, I'm very very happy to be, be still here and being able to talk to you guys, so it's great. Right on. Chris, what have you been up to, man? It's been a pretty hobby-heavy week. Um, I finished up the Isaac stuff I was working on from last week, uh, kit-bashed a bunch of Necrons, um, which is Ooh. fun. I have a lot of fun converting things, and... Uh, <laughs> I have a little bit now that I've finished my Isaac for Dark Age. Um, some St. Luke is coming in, so I'm trying to 
just do some ideas as far as uh, painting color schemes and things like that. Uh, <laughs> like Lance, I've been having a lot of fun with the contrast paints. So you've been trying, trying those too. Out. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, I've been I I've really enjoyed the contrast just in general um, because before they even came out, I, I was doing a lot of glaze style painting. So oh. I, I used to paint prime model, models white, and I'd go in with inks and glazes. So contrast kind of simplified part of that procedure. Way very much so. Yes, <laughs> they can and make you it, look like you're a way better painter than you actually are. To be real honest with you, once you get good at it. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I've actually been kit bashing too. Like, I did a first kit bash today, or not today, this last couple of weeks that I'd never done before. I'm kind of get excited to get into that world a little bit. So, I'm I'm interested to hear what kind of kit bashing stuff you're doing. Uh, mostly making, uh, you know, uh, when the Indominus box came uh, came mm -hmm. out, I ended up getting two of them. I had a really great deal. Oh, lucky you! Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's still just a few models that didn't really come in the box or that, you know, you don't need two of like, you don't need two of the Lords. You don't need two of the, um, like the chronomancers and sure. things like that. So I took all the characters and broke them, broke the pieces down and made my own stuff out of it. Like I made cool. the char character Illuminor out of the Scorpec destroyer Lord, um, okay. which took a, a little bit of work, a little bit of finagling, but it's it's one of the fun things that's a little bit easier with plastics than some of the resins and metals. Oh, for sure. Some of the yeah. other systems. Yeah, resin can get real brittle, and it's difficult to kind of get joints to lock together when they're not exactly the same size. But with plastics, you can kind of squeeze things down with the clippers to make it so you can get some good joint places, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. All, all that fun stuff. All that fun stuff. <laughs> Moving along, so getting into Guild Ball, we'll let uh, Owen take over with our short little blurb. Yeah, sure. So we like to always lead these with just kind of a, a quick, you know, 500-yard uh, view of the game. So Guild Ball was an English tabletop medieval football game created by Matt Hart and Richard Luxem. Guild Ball started with a successful Kickstarter run by Steamforge Games that ended in March 2016. The, company, the, the game is a competitively focused sports war game with players typically using six 28 millimeter scale miniatures played on a three foot by three foot table with alternating activations and uses D6. Uh, the game stopped production in 2020 after Steamforge Games announced the end of the game in a message to the community. Um, first things first, wow, I can't believe Guild Ball only started in 2016. I feel like this game <laughs> was in the community for much longer than that, although I feel like the time, it, it, that, that can't be right. 2016? No, I, I must have that wrong. It must have been 2014. Um, the Kickstarter was, I feel like it was earlier than that, or at least it had yeah. like a long time brewing before it became like an, a quote unquote official game in 2016. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I joined the game after it had officially launched. Um, I wasn't in it as part of the Kickstarter, but I had heard of it prior to that. Um, I would say the first time I ever heard of Guild Ball, I was at, um, uh, I used to be a War Machine player, and so I was at Lock and Load, which is in um, Seattle, uh, which is where Privateer Press is based. Mm -hmm. And they had, um, there's a number of people, you know, big professional people that would come and play there from all over the world, one of which was kind of the UK champion, Jamie Perkins. And he had showed up to play War Machine, but in the lobby of the hotel next to the convention center, he was running Guild Ball demos using paper dolls. <laughs> so the little, the little, you know, flat paper, you know, make a little T intersection at the bottom of it with tape. 
and was using it to measure out and to show people how Guild Ball was played. And I watched a number of the demos. I got one myself to learn how to play it. And I was very interested in the idea coming from, you know, War Machine, which has, you know, hundreds of computer models on the table to only having to worry about six. And the rules were very similar to War Machine in a lot so, of ways that I think made yeah. Privateer Press upset. But <laughs> <laughs> Looking at, at the Kickstarter, um, yeah. the Kickstarter project ran from February 20th, 2014 to March 22nd, 2014, with delivery date on December 2014. I think it was season two that came out in 2016. Yeah, so apologies there. Okay. It was uh, March 2014. So yeah, I was going to say, wow, only four years? It felt like a lot longer. Okay. So it was a lot longer. Yeah, so that was six years. So that makes <laughs> okay. more sense. Yeah, okay. And I think I saw it in 2015, maybe, maybe 14 or 15. So it must have been after the Kickstarter delivered, but Jamie Perkins was trying to get a bunch of War Machine people interested in the game at Lock and Load. Um, because he just seemed to really, really like it. I don't think he was involved with the company at all uh, at the time, but he was just trying to get American players and people at this giant convention interested in the game kind of off-site to learn how to play it and to learn what it was. And I was very hooked on it from that point forward. So that, that's really funny because I had a similar experience with uh, John Carter, who's one of the, the major competitive War Machine players from Florida, who okay. also plays Dark Age. And at Adepticon 2015, he was like, oh, I really got into this uh, this new thing on Kickstarter called Guild Ball. And, you know, I, I know I know Kickstarter game, but really, like, let me give you a demo with the paper. And it was like, oh, OK, yeah, this is this is awesome. And Very uh, good. Yeah. ended up picking it up like right when it shipped uh, to retail as a result of that. Yep, absolutely. Um, I believe the first time I played officially after getting into the game from that perspective was a friend of mine's brother was getting married and he was a big miniature guy and his brother was kind of playing around with miniatures a little. And we all bought starter box, the three man starter boxes for three different teams to play as part of his like bachelor party in a way. Nice. Um, and so we were just playing around with the three models and trying to learn how the game worked using like paper printed rules uh, from the computer and just playing around with the quickly assembling the pewter models, putting them on the table, using like our focus markers from War Machine and our writable, uh, you know, effects tokens uh, from War Machine and putting them next to the models and just rolling them using essentially everything we had uh, at the time. Though we didn't have a mat, so I'm not sure how we measured the mat out, but something along those lines, we were able to figure out how to make a goalposts and play around on the field and, and try it from there. So um, nice. I bought a few teams of that, those three man starter boxes, and then trying to figure out which team I wanted to get into to play professionally or uh, in at least a, a competitive standpoint and uh, went from there. Nice. Yeah. So Lance, you, you're definitely the resident expert here on Guild. <laughs> I think uh, both Chris and I play, but definitely not to the extent that you do. Sure. Um, in terms of people that have never heard of Guild Ball, um, yeah. Can you give like a brief overview of what the the game world was about? Uh, not necessarily in terms of mechanics, but more just in terms of uh, background of the game. The lore, the fluff. Yeah, yeah. Sure, absolutely. Um, so it was in this fantasy world where a bunch of different countries were all kind of combined together, surrounded by a sea. So it was just kind of a massive island of a bunch of different um, countries. The lore of the world is that all. All of these lands were these individual countries, but each of these countries were broken down by these individual lords. And they were all very petty, and they would get into wars with each other all of the time. And essentially, after what they called the Hundred Years' War, uh, basically a long war that just went nonstop, and the, the 
lords would just fight battles literally for whatever reason. Like if a person showed up in a bad dress to their ball, they would fight a war over it. And it would just mean all of the peasants and people would be killed um, Mm -hmm. on almost a regular basis just for the frivolity of these lords. So the common people decided to start joining together. And in order to like influence power over these vast and wealthy land barons, uh, they decided to start forming their power consolidations behind their jobs, um, so forming essentially unions, uh, what, what they called guilds, uh, broken into what their professions were. So there was a you know, butcher's guild, a brewer's guild, a mason's guild, the engineers, the people who would build the war machines, the people who would put up the fortifications that would just be broken down. All of these people decided to form these giant organizations as a way to fight back against the uber rich essentially. Mm -hmm. And because they were being killed for essentially nothing. Um, And as they started to grow in power, the Lord started to fight back against them and for that, them seizing that power. And in order to keep kind of the will of the people in mind uh, and to keep them somewhat entertained, these guilds began to run um, mob football games. So in all of these little villages and these places where the poor people would be there, the only entertainment in that village would be a, a football game where it'd just be two posts in the ground across from each other. And you would kick, you know, like a pig bladder full of, you know, sand or water around into the posts. And that would be where the entertainment would come from. So they decided to make that a professional thing and then form teams. And so the teams were based on these guilds. So you would have a butcher's guild team. Now, these people wouldn't automatically be in the, you know, they wouldn't necessarily be in that profession specifically, but they would be sponsored by those guilds. And so what happened is the lords and ladies are still there. They're still, you know, rich and powerful, but the guilds would then become more powerful and would be able to influence the rich by you know, with their organizations and would run these teams as a way of exerting influence over each other. So, you know, you could have a butcher's team versus a mortician's team to decide over something. Um, I think the classic result was that they were saying like a butcher's team would fight a brewer's team as to who would cater the big ball that year. Um, <laughs> and they would do it as a way to try to like solve internal squabbles and issues, but then it also became a way of doing intrigue where you could like, you know, assassinate a player or you could start screwing with each other's operatives. And it becomes much more of a kind of a grim, dark uh, medieval world where you've got these giant organizations that are constantly uh, you know, putting political ploys against each other you know, through these games as a cover to appease the masses while also gaining their own influence and power over each other. Right on. Just for uh, people that might be either completely unfamiliar with Guild Ball or if I can uh, you know, have lofty ambitions, if this podcast really takes off and five years from now someone's listening through our back catalog and yeah. never heard of Guild Ball. Welcome. Um, in terms of, <laughs> of like football, I think of football and I think, okay, people kicking a ball around, trying to get a goal in the net. Um, it, it, Guild Ball is a little bit more violent than that, right? Way much so. Um, I When I would describe the game for people at demos, I would say it's medieval combat soccer rugby is the best way I could describe it to American audiences. So it, as, when we'll get into it more when we play the mechanics of the game, you actually score points not only from kicking the ball uh, against the post, which is the main way to score points, you can also score points for viciously attacking and knocking out a player and disabling them temporarily. You would earn points for that as well because the crowd likes it when you do that as well. 
Um, and, and it's all about appeasing the crowd in this game. The, the game is all about trying to get the crowd on your side, uh, get the crowd momentum moving your direction. And so if you can do that by scoring goals because they, they like your team doing that, great. If, they're, if your team is known more for violently beating the crap out of people and throwing them off the table, that's where you get your momentum and then you kind of play into that lane. And I think when you're looking at the fiction side of things, that's one of the three things I think is kind of unique, or at least was kind of groundbreaking with the fiction, was mm -hmm. one is that there's no plot armor. Um, as you go through no. the, season, the season, you know, um, players would die or end up with injuries, like completely mm -hmm. crippled. Um, and thankfully enough, it didn't affect the mechanics for the older models. But No, and there's a lot of people that would complain about the idea of that where they would say like, well, if you kill characters off in fluff, then people won't want to play them because they'll want to play current quote unquote current timeline that never happened in guild ball. Like players would die left and right. And they'd be like, so this game was happening before that happened. Who cares? Yeah. And they would just go like they didn't, it, there was nobody being so purist to the fluff that when a character dies, they would retire them from the game the way that everybody <laughs> says it's supposed to happen. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not going to happen. They, they talked about that in all the other games, that I, miniature games that I played before this. And when it happened in this game, I was like, oh man, is that actually going to happen? And it didn't. I'm like, yeah, I knew it wasn't going to. <laughs> <laughs> good models are good models. People are going to play them no matter what. And if they own them and paint, have them painted up, they're not going to not play them just because they died in the fluff, mm -hmm. you know? Unless the company says they're illegal for some reason. Right. So that, that was an interesting part with the fiction. Also, as far as Guildbow goes, it had some of the most equal representation for characters in the, the story that I've seen in a game. Um, there were characters of all different races. There's a, a pretty widespread of uh, lesbian, gay, and bisexual characters in the story. And... A lot of it was done in a, in a positive light. Like, you know, they were talking about them just as anyone else. It's not like they had a stereotype in there or they were using it as kind of like a way to make fun. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> what they were going for, but yeah, I mean, and that they did the same thing that War Machine kind of did for in a lot of ways in that they would bring out the different versions of the character as being the story arc of them. Mm -hmm. So you would have one character who was, you know, a violent drunk. And then you would have another version of him that would be sobering up. And yep. then another one where he finds religion. Like, and there's three different versions of the character going from, you know, the regular version to the veteran version to their third one, which they called the seasoned version uh, of those characters. And they, it would tell a story kind of of those characters. And you could play whichever one of them you wanted. And each one of them had different skills and abilities based on where they were at that point in their timeline. And yeah, it was just, it was cool. And then some characters, you know, heck, they I was going to say, including the, dead. the models where it was a tombstone for the models that were dead. Yes. <laughs> they did that as a nice little, you know, tip of the hat to the characters that died. And they, they put them in with the, uh, the zombie versions of the, of that one team or the one group. I forget what it was, but it was like a Halloween special thing where they had the main character was a zombie version. And then they had all these little gravestones around of all the characters who had died as other uh, tokens for them to play as or as little bases for them to play on if you wanted to play them as that saying like oh gas is dead here's a gas tombstone you know move forward and um and play them that way and then i had a friend here that did that really leaned hard into that he loved the zombie stuff so he started zombifying like an entire team i think he did it for his um <laughs> aaron did it for his farmers i think so i think he has all zombie farmers um so everything is undead and a, a local friend of ours is a, a 
kind of a professional painter, Brian Finken, and he uh, he did for War Machine. He did Pumpkin Cricks, uh, which were the uh, the Undead Army. He did this like Harvest theme where it was all oranges and greens, and he had little pumpkins all over the place for them. And so the guys just like do that, but for this farmers team. And so it was zombie farmers with all this pumpkin patch stuff around them, and they were all orange and deadified and stuff like that. Nice. So, yeah. I think that's a pretty solid basis on what the, the fiction is. There's, like you mentioned, there's a lot more intrigue. There's definitely some complex storylines weaving through it. But, um, oh, for sure. I don't want to spoil any of that for people who are going to want to pick up the book. So moving along, I think that the primary thing that actually attracted a lot of people to Guild Ball was the mechanics of the game. Absolutely. And how well balanced and competitive the rule set could be. Um, so do you want to kind of lead us through some of the basic mechanics for the game? Sure. Uh, I will go through the usual demo spiel I did when I was at conventions. So uh, the idea of Guild Ball is that you're trying to get to 12 points, 12 VPs, and you could score those in a number of different ways. Uh, first, like I mentioned before, was goals. If you score a goal with your team, you would get four VPs. So three goals, game over, you win. If you do that before, the other team wins 12. The other thing you could do is you could take out people. So you could knock uh, players out, basically reducing their health track to zero. It would take them off the field for one turn, and then they would come back the the following new turn um, at half health, usually. They would come in at a weaker weaker stance. And if you did that, you would get two points. So any combination of scoring goals and taking out models that would get you to 12 before your opponent wins you the game. Simple as that. Uh, The mechanics of moving around. Everybody has cards, character cards. Um, each of the you play with six players on the field, one of which is your captain, and there would be a, a model that can be designated a captain. At the end, every team had three models that could be captain. I think for the most part, um, I think I think they have, everybody has three choices of that, and each one of those will kind of adjust the play style of what the team does. You also have to take a mascot, so there are literal animals on the field. Um, so for the butchers, it was like a bulldog. For the fishermen, there was an otter. Uh, that would run around. So you'd have have to captain, mascot, and then four other characters that weren't captains that could be on your roster. So it's a six-man team, captain, mascot, four what they called squaddies, essentially, four just regular players. Um, and obviously, if they have regular and veteran versions of them, you can't play both. You can only play one version of them uh, because there can't be like time anomalies on the table where there's two different versions of the character. Uh, each one of those cards will have a list of things that they can do along with their stat line telling you how far they can move, how well they attack, how defensive they are, how tough they are, what their hit points are. Um, they'll have little abilities that they can kick off. They're kind of like spells, but they call them uh, play or playbooks. And they will be little things you can do um, that will like throw bonus armor on people or will huck a knife at somebody. And then on the back of the card just had like basic traits and things like that, along with some abilities that could be done once per game if they were super powerful, or once per round that would cost a certain resource. Uh, During the game, at the beginning of it, when you assemble your team, uh, as you assemble your team, each one of the characters will bring a certain amount of power to the team that you can allocate, which is called influence. Uh, For people who've played War Machine before, this is very similar to the focus mechanic. And you would get a pool of that, and then you would allocate it out to the entire team. So if they bring two, you don't have to allocate them two. You can allocate them less or more. Uh, There's a second number that is their maximum as to how much they can have. But you just kind of spread the pool out. Because to do anything in the game other than to just walk your normal distance, 
costs influence. If you want to punch somebody, you got to spend an influence. If you want to kick the ball, it costs influence. If you want to score a goal, if you want to uh, kick off one of your plays, all of that costs influence. You have to spend that in order to do it. As you do things in the game that uh, people like your team doing or that just in general happen, whether it be if you knock somebody out, you gain uh, a resource, a secondary resource called momentum. And this is what I was talking about before of the crowd getting behind what you're doing. Uh, so if you take somebody out, you get momentum. If you score a goal, you get momentum. If you uh, there's character plays on the thing when you attack somebody, which we'll get into in a little bit. Some of them are colored and some of them aren't. If they're colored and you choose the colored result, you will gain a momentum because the crowd likes that that's what your team does specifically. And then last but not least, you can gain some momentum when you pass the ball to each other because the crowd likes it when we play soccer or football. Um, so you're, you're balancing that idea of spending influence to gain momentum and then using the momentum to do even better things in order to gain those uh, victory points to win the game. Cool. So... Um... I think some of the the other little things that I could think about that are important for just the uh, the gameplay is it is a game that's measured in inches, which yes. is always a positive for us. In the <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry about that world. We really should get metric, but <laughs> alas, it does utilize pre measuring, um, which is definitely a positive in a game that like the measurements are so precise for. Yeah, that's become the norm nowadays, it feels like, more than it ever used to be. Um, the games that don't do it seem weird to me now. Um, having come from War Machine is like my first big competitive game where you couldn't, and you had to do all this internal math of where people were and how far they moved and how far you moved and met, you know, minusing from 41 inches, which is how far away you are from each other. This is a much different kind of style where you're able to go like, oh, I wonder if I am or how far can I get to be within the distance I need? And, oh, I didn't have that measurement right at all. Like I thought it was way closer <laughs> or whatever it was and not being, you know, screwed out of your turn. And um, also that when it comes down to competitive gameplay, which is where it seems like a lot of the community was, yeah, um, the idea of building like a roster of 10 rather than a roster of six was a pretty significant part of that. Well, there was the idea of, in big competitive play, there was an idea of having a sideboard like that, what they called your you know, your roster, your bench, essentially, mm-hmm. um, where you could bring, I think you bring up to two captains, uh, you could bring up to two mascots, and then as many, like up to six uh, additional squaddies as you want. Now, if you lock in your captain and lock in your mascot, they, those are the ones you're going to play all day. You could have more squaddies to choose from if you wanted to, but it would l- not allow you to play against you know certain matchups if you think one captain is better against this other team versus another. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of, you need to know what everybody else can do and know what your team does to fight them so that you can knock the linchpin out from whatever their machine is uh, to keep to try to win that direction. So yes, having choice was definitely a big part of the competitive scene, but for just playing with your friends and just learning, excuse me, learning the game, um, there's nothing wrong with just bringing the straight six. And there were some people that did it for tournaments. They would just bring six players and that's what they would play all day. And they even had a, there was a tournament version. um, I think it was called the, the Pete, Pete Wilkinson, Pete something. It was, it was after a guy who did this all the time, I think on the West Coast or maybe East Coast. I can't remember where he was, but they called it that memorial tournament uh, and he, where you would bring six players and that's what you'd play all day no matter who you played against. <laughs> um, because you did just to kind of hardcore mode it <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. in that way. So yes, competitively, you'd want the 10, but you could certainly play six just for casual or if you really wanted to like, you know, 
Iron Man it and see whether you could pull it off. Cool. So from a um, competitive play interest standpoint, we talked about the nuts and bolts of the game. What yeah. do you think attracted people that were more competitively minded to Guild Ball? Oh, the precision. Um, it was... That's an interesting... That's a very good question. I would say it's a, it's a game that very much rewards good planning, good list building, and if you are well-practiced with the team, you can do some really crazy stuff. Um, I would try... When I would try to run demos for people that would be able to play fuller or more, you know, full versions of the game, which happened at Gen Con a couple of times. I Sometimes I was the person in the convention hall just showing the basics to get people through in like, you know, 10, 15 minutes to get them on their way. But then sometimes they would buy tickets for a more at the table. We're going to, we have all the teams laid out on a big table. Pick which team you want, which six. We'll sit down and we'll play as much of a full game as we possibly can. In those times i would try to do what i could to assemble neat concepts that would be very cinematic and exciting from a sports perspective so there are certain teams that are particularly good at scoring and some teams that are really good at killing and then everybody else is kind of on the spectrum in between of varying degrees so i would have if they were playing like a killing team versus a scoring team i would try to set up the scoring team to where they would pass to one person like down the field the ball and then that person would like overheld bicycle kick the ball into the goal right afterwards is like a snapshot and that was an available uh, mechanic in the game where you can pass to a player and if that player is within their kick range of the goal you can spend a bunch of momentum to try to make them make a sweet kick um, and score a goal and set that up and they would love the cinematics of that to where they could you know plan these elaborate pass schemes to get the ball down the field faster and get it into their uh, opponent's goalpost in a really cinematic you know, a crazy sports like fashion, you know, people that are into the world cup or into, you know, American football where they do a big long bomb pass and it works and you, you win the super bowl. You want to try to elicit that kind of cinematic experience for people. But then when that happens, I would have the kill team ready to go to kill the person who scored the goal and then have the person kill the person who kicked the ball in the first place. Like to, and then to watch those two players get crushed and, and then they would be excited about the fact that, Oh man, I lost that goal, but I totally murdered two of their dudes and got the exact same points because they would score four points for scoring the goal. And then they would score four points from killing two players. Um, you could, you could get that back and forth of the game where they would feel like they were constantly in it and they were able to play, uh, you know, into a sports slash combat, fantasy with that so i would say people liked watching those games and they were incredibly fun to watch on streams or for battle reports which you could still i think find online there are a lot of people that still play those and you could see people pull off really interesting plays and really neat ways of you know maybe weakening a team down with some ranged attacks to bring their health down and then charging in and finishing them off in a way that would stop them from being able to do that cool snapshot or you know, to, to get the ball away from a key model and kick it back to your own team and letting you score. There was lots of that back and forth. Um, it's a fun game to watch because you're not just watching two armies crash into each other. You're watching the ball. Like, where did the ball go? You know, it's, it's like watching you know, any sport on television. You're like, where is the, the thing that needs to be scored at? And then you can watch the other fighting going on around it, but you could still try to pay attention to where the ball goes. And if it's a super scory game where it's going back and forth, scoring goals fast, it could be a very exciting game. Um, and I really like the alternate activation option for it as well, because 
Um, you're not watching an entire army come up and just shoot your entire army off the table. <laughs> you're watching one model come up, do something cool, and then you have a chance to respond. You have a player then that you can try to do something to either affect that player who just moved or to do something to make your opponent think about what's going to happen next. And you can kind of dictate their play by the way that you're playing. Um, that's why I love about the asynchronous uh, play style, the turn back and forth options. Um, I like that better than all armies versus all armies, though, you know, there's a lot of games that do that for big mass scale armies, which makes sense. But I still like the back and forth. I think, I mean, Star Wars Legion kind of does it with a grab bag a little bit where, you know, some some person can go multiple times. But then there are chances where you can do like, I'm going to move one unit. Like, OK, I'm going to move one unit. OK, I'm going to move one unit. And you just keep going back and forth. That to me is more exciting because then you can not just watch yourself get killed. You're constantly invested in what's going on in the game. Right. I was, to me, I was, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was going to say, uh, in general, when you when you're talking about balance, I think balance is really what um, drove a lot of competitive players to the oh, game. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I should have got that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> because um, Chris, and I think they definitely kind of they went this really fine line, and they did it really well. And just thinking back to when I started in the beginning of uh, season two. Um, every faction did a different thing, but mm -hmm. even though they were all playing a slightly different version of the same game, you never really ran into a matchup where you're like, oh man, like I've lost, you know, like I just can't <laughs> succeed here. You know, like butchers would win on murders. Um, and I can think of several games that I won without ever kicking a goal. I might not have known the rules for kicking a goal for like <laughs> probably my first <laughs> 10 years. So I don't like, understand oh, the kick mechanic, but uh... <laughs> insignificant. Um, yeah, you I mean, know, um, they would errata the game twice a year. Um, it would be at Adepticon would be one errata. And then in the fall, they would do a second one. So they were constantly keeping the game as leveled and balanced as possible because they had professional miniature players like Jamie Perkins eventually joins the team and becomes one of the lead developers on it. And then uh, they end up adding Bryce Johnson, who's a Scott, uh, Scottish guy. And he joined in uh, and he was a competitive war machine player in the UK. And they had them come in and help them balance the rules all of the time. So the teams were always felt very in line with each other. Every once in a while, there would be some outlier characters that would be you know broken but they would fix them relatively fast. Uh, they wouldn't be at the king of the hill for long. Right. And then, like you mentioned, it, it was definitely a skill-based game. You know, and it, it, so. it, 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 wasn't just, it wasn't just a, like, I just make a good list, and when I come to the table, it plays itself. Um, yet, in order to do really well in a guild ball tournament, you had to have a good understanding of the rules themselves. You had to have a good understanding of the models that you were taking. And you also had to, to have a pretty good idea of what your opponent could do, because otherwise, if you didn't know, you know, like, well, this character, you know, like, Obulus can take one of my dudes and do whatever he wants with it. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it, that, would, that would ruin an entire game for you if you didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> you know, like, oh, well, huh, Yeah, okay. and to know what his mechanic was, which was stealing. Like, if you get the crowd momentum on your side and you get a big pool of the momentum while you're playing, he had a once-per-game ability where he would just steal all of your momentum and bring it to his side. So he would, like, essentially mind-control the crowd to join him, and then he would take all of your ability. And that would be what you had left over in that pool would, your abil would be your ability to help you go first the next round. Um, so, and going first in this game was very important. 
And for a while, you would roll off for it. Um, and then after a while, they just started to add the mechanics of these uh, play cards and things like that, which we can get into later. But um, yes, it definitely rewarded skill and it recorded, rewarded knowledge of your opponent's abilities to do things. Which I think most miniature games do, really. I mean, War Machine had that. I feel like Guild Ball does. 40k does to an extent. Um, maybe not just because there's so many different different teams to learn how to play against. Uh, to know what they do or what they don't do is kind of unusual. But um, I just feel like that's just a general miniatures game thing. You can't just focus on your own. No matter what game you're playing, you can't just focus on your own thing if you're playing against you know, a team that can have other factions with different strengths and weaknesses. You kind of have to have a basic idea of what they're going to do so that you can have an idea of defeating it, it feels like. But mm-hmm. but Guild Bowl definitely more so than others. Sorry. It's good. Um, I, I would add to that. Yeah, I think you definitely hit on the Magic the Gathering or War Machine style kind of Rube Goldberg contraption. Okay, here's a puzzle. How can I solve it so I can either win the game or get an advantage? I think Guild Ball right. did, did that in a really interesting way and in a way that um as chris pointed out the butchers might try to win via takeout points but they would do that in a way that might be different than a hunters or brewers team would and had different tools to approach that so i think it kept the puzzle interesting i think sports games in general also are nice in a way because in general and i'm thinking of this and blood bowl there's only one scenario. It's not like War Machine where here's the rules for the game and yeah, we'll put out a packet to try to figure out how competitive play works or something. I don't right. know. Right. Th- yeah, th- this not- was, th- this is how you play the game and everything can be balanced around that one scenario. So I, yeah, I think you're not that- like capturing and holding things. You're not like stealing data and bringing it back to your deployment zone. You are just scoring goals and taking people out in whatever way you can do that in whatever order. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and I also think the small model count helped a lot. You know, a, mm. a war machine army where you, you have to update your army every six months due to errata, <laughs> that would get frustrating and expensive. If you have 10 models, okay, well, I, I take this one out of my list and put this one in. That, that's not a big hobby, money, time, et cetera, investment. No, it was definitely a big selling point for me at the beginning when I was, you know, carrying this giant um, uh, battle foam, you know, war machine bag filled to the brim with models and then you're telling me like well you you bring six to the table and you can have up to ten I'm like that's really easy I, I i could just easily carry that into my game room and with a few you know dice and some widgets and things you need to play the game well, that sounds really simple i'll just do that you know it just <laughs> seems way easier to set up like the terrain is you know there's terrain rules and everything but it's not very difficult to set up and once they had the neoprene mats out where you, they had the field all marked off with the lines and where your goalposts go, the setup for the game was instantaneous. Like it was a two minute process, and I could I ran tournaments because I was a local what they call pundit, which is like a local uh, representative of the game to run tournaments, and I could get some rewards for doing so and running demos and things. And it would just I could set up. You know, I have, I think maybe the maximum I had at one point was a twenty man tournament, something like that. I could set up ten tables in a half hour like no problem setting up 20 you know setting up 10 tables of war machine or of a warhammer 40k tournament that would be a process like there would be a lot involved with that because you got to make sure line of sights are where they are and everything has to have a certain amount of gaps so you can get big base models through it and stuff like that this game does not require that kind of specificity you just toss some stuff on the table there's a few rules of how far away they can be from each other and where certain types of terrain can be 
But other than that, you just throw it on the neoprene mat and move on. And it made it super simple to set up. Right on. Um, so I, I think that's probably a pretty good overview of just the, the basic me um, mechanics of Guild Ball and uh, sure. why they were interesting to competitive players. Uh, you know, this obviously is something that uh, stopped getting support from Steamforge fairly recently. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I would say there was something of a, a minor controversy around uh, the exact mechanics of how that happened. Do you, do you want to take people through that, Lance? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's, it was relatively recently. Um, it was, I can't remember the exact date. Do you guys have the date listed for it? I don't remember. It, here's what I remember of it. I live in Iowa. I'm in Des Moines, Iowa. And it happened because the, they're a UK-based company. I woke up to it on, the, on a Monday morning, and it was the Monday morning of the Derecho storms, uh, the ones that were those, you know, 125 mile per hour winds came through and blew down a ton of corn and destroyed a bunch of farms and people were without power for a while. It happened that same Monday morning. So like <laughs> the Monday morning, I was looking at the Steamforge site and talking to a bunch of my UK friends and US friends about how the game was dying. And then all the power went out of my house and it was out for four days. Um <laughs> So, and, and I kind of watched this weird tornado wind thing come by over my house and we went down to the basement because all the alarms were going off like a tornado was happening, but it was these massive hurricane wind storms that essentially blew everything over and were destroying stuff all over the state. Um, so it was just a Monday morning, maybe, let's see, this is October. So it would have had to have been July, maybe June, yeah. July. According to the so, internet, it was August 10th. August 10th. Okay. So, yeah, later. So, August 10th. Because, oh, that's, that's right. Because it was from Gen Con. All right. So, here's the story that I had learned. So, we had heard something was going to go down with Guild Ball soon, and that there was some exciting, they said, quote unquote, exciting news was coming for Guild Ball. And then they had the, I went to Gen Con online. So, I did a bunch of seminars and a few games with Gen Con online, and they had a keynote speech. And in the middle of that keynote speech, which was again was done over Zoom, um, Rich Loxham, who's one of the two CEOs of the company for Steamforged, uh, came online and started his keynote and began the keynote with, everyone, just as an FYI, for Guild Ball players, we have a separate announcement coming for you guys down the line. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about Guild Ball and a different keynote. But for right now, we're going to talk about all the exciting things we got coming from Steamforge going forward from, from this. And they launched into this keynote. And so we watched it, and we're just kind of like, okay, well, I don't know what that means, but we'll just watch whatever keynote when it comes up. Like, they're going to do a separate announcement, physical announcement with people at the table about what's going to happen. And we were just go, okay, fine. So we listened to the rest of it. They started launching all of their D&D. &D, um, they have some D&D &D module stuff coming out with miniatures, these uh, epic encounters that they've got, along with you know, the 17th, uh, you know, big uh, video game license that they got for to do whatever game they're going to do next. I forget what it was. I think it was Monster Hunter, maybe. They're doing a Monster Hunter board game uh, Kickstarter, which is honestly for a long time been their jam. They've been mm -hmm. all about gaining big name licenses, creating board games and miniatures for them from those licenses, and then selling them in these multi-million dollar Kickstarters. It started with Dark Souls. And then eventually launched into Resident Evil, Devil May Cry, Horizon Zero Dawn, etc. They were also very much excited and hyped about their God Tier game, which was their you know next miniature skirmish type game um, that's been out for a while now. 
uh, they were announcing some new models and things from that, and they were very hyped and excited about it. So we wait the few weeks, and then we get the blog post, the quote-unquote controversial uh, posting <laughs> that, that few weeks later on that Monday morning, letting us know that they were, at this point, no longer going to support Guild Ball. They were discontinuing everything uh, because of COVID and you know a number of other things that they were not, from a manufacturing standpoint, they were not going to be able to continue to support the game. We had heard some rumblings, and we knew some things were going on in terms of people getting let go, uh, including Bryce uh, Johnson, who was one who was the only person still working on Guild Ball that we knew of, because uh, Jamie Perkins had been moved over and was doing the Horizon Zero Dawn game. And when Bryce was let like let go from the company, he wasn't even moved to a different thing. He was just let go of the company. We were like, "Oh no!" Like, "Oh no!" And this was this happened a few days before. I think on that Friday, Bryce announced on Facebook, "I'm no longer with Steamforge," and we're like, "Oh." And so when the Monday came in saying we're done with Guild Ball, we're like, ah, oh, here it is. They're killing it. And they did. And they just said, we're done with this COVID uh, me- mechanical or, um, you know, uh, production problems, etc. And then they did this interesting thing from a PR perspective where they said, also, we want, when we originally started Guild Ball, we wanted this game to be casual we wanted you to hang out with friends beer and pretzel style which is you know a classic gaming term of trying to make like things be super casual we wanted this game to just be fun had around with friends and this community has turned it into a uber competitive over the top toxic environment they didn't say i'm summarizing but they didn't say in so many words but this is kind of what their insinuation was and it's making it unfun for other players to play and the learning curve was too steep. And the rules we made were perfect. And we balanced the game perfectly. But it's, it's just not, it's not something we can keep doing at this level right now. Um, here's the other teams we were going to make for you, but we're not going to now. And they listed off all of the teams that were going to be coming that were in development that they canceled. And then they said, well, down the line, we might come back to Guild Ball. We'll see. But in the meantime, you guys have fun. We'll talk to you later. And that was the essential of the, of the blog post. So and, uh, Also, <laughs> there will be a big sale coming. <laughs> oh, yes, and we're liquidating all of our stock of it at bargain bin prices, undercutting all of the local game stores that we have been selling our stuff to and that have a massive amount of inventory left over. We yep. are cutting it to like below cost and we're putting it on our website and which has never really been super stable when they've done Black Friday sales. They've had a lot of crashes and things like that, which then course caused the site to crash. People were able to get stuff. Some people weren't. And there was a lot of upsetness going around. So I'll, I'll be catty and say, come on, Lance, be fair. There was no way anyone had Gilball stock. That was one of the questions. <laughs> no, uh, that's fair. That's fair. There, um, I was trying to be a little positive of it. There, I had some players. I had some um, of my local game store did have some stock left, but not a lot. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of being tongue in cheek when I say. Of that. course, of course, um, <laughs> that's fair. Kind of leading into that, so I, I actually have the text of the announcement saved. Okay, great. Uh, if you try to go to the Steamforge website, the announcement is no longer up. And of course not. <laughs> I, I will say, as someone who plays Guild Ball, but I was not a avid competitive player. I I have several teams. I enjoy the game, but it's not something I play at my LGS every week. I 
was on Facebook on uh, the Gubs, the Gilball supporter Facebook, <laughs> and saw yeah. some, I'll be charitable and say, very spicy reactions to the announcement. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so I read the announcement, and mm-hmm. granted, I didn't have the context of the Gen Con announcement, and I didn't certainly, as someone who played the game but wasn't uh, into, the, into it the extent that you are, um, a lot of the pain notes in the community, particularly around the availability of stock, trying to grow a scene, were not concerns I personally had. So I went into this just, oh, okay, they're stopping support of Guild Ball. Let's see what they have to say. I want to read an ex- excerpt of this. Sure. We set out to make the cleanest, most balanced miniature game you could play at the time. And we achieved this, hands down, flat out, nailed it, exclamation point. Guild Ball was a competitive player's dream. It rewarded player skill and experience. The competitive scene grew and grew. But this ended up hurting the lifespan of the game. Guild Ball became the type of game where you win your first game, or demo, and then lose the next 100 games. When matched against a lesser skilled opponent or an experienced opponent, a better player would simply win the vast majority of games. As competitive scene, as the competitive scene began to dominate, the design space for wilder, more, quote, fun elements began to shrink. New minis were either, quote, OP or, quote, trash tier the second they were announced. Why take a new model when XYZ model already filled that role? So th- that was their statement. Mm-hmm. I read this and I thought there were a few statements similar to the quote on, we achieved this, hands down, flat out nailed it. To me, it read as they were trying to say some nice things about their staff as a way, hey, we're, we're sorry we cut this, but we do really appreciate all your hard work. To me, it was not phrased in the best way or particularly in a community-facing way that I personally would feel comfortable releasing something like that. But to be charitable, th- that's how... I read it when I when I first saw sure. it. I would also say the comment here that you know new minis were either OP or trash tier the second they were announced struck the community as something offensive. And and to paraphrase a common sentiment I saw on Facebook was, oh, so it's the competitive player's fault your your game fell apart. And I didn't really see that when I read this. I also would say, having been on the, the, the Gilball Facebook group, that's not an unfair criticism. New minis were announced and there are certainly were places where nuance was given, but it was not uncommon to see something either announced as being overpowered or not worth taking. Do, I mean, do, do you think that's an unfair no. characterization no, of the community fair. response? I think that happens in every miniature game, though. I don't, I don't know if anything comes out that is 100% perfectly balanced. Um, there's always going to be ones that come out and they're just like, we think this is okay, but in the current world, we don't know how it's going to work. Because just because of how long playtesting and everything takes... And then to have yep. the model bit ge- get generated and then to kick it out where it would have been balanced back when the meta was where it was when they did the original model. But then now that it's out and the they can kind of see how the tournament scene you know, played out, that is always a good way for a company to learn how balanced their game is, is how it's being played at competitive levels. And so they wait for that model to come out. And if they see that people aren't taking it or are taking it way too much, uh, they can back things off or they can buff the model accordingly, which is why the releases were usually fairly close to the errata so yep. that they could errata it almost instantaneously if there was a fast response to it being a problem. Yeah, I uh, I think that's fair. I, I would also say that to be charitable to the Gilball community, I think it's fair to say this announcement was going to upset the Gilball community, um, particularly sure. in light of what you mentioned prior to this announcement. Yeah. Um, I also think it was, and on rereading it, to be fair, 
I think it's fair to say that if the only criticism in this entire release is based at the community, when they Steamforge in the past had admitted they had manufacturing, production, and distribution issues. Oh boy, did they. Some of which, you know, like some of which were, I think, frankly, you can place more on them, and others, I don't think it's fair to place on them. Like the ship with the navigators <laughs> crashing in the ocean. Like acts of God. That, yeah, no, I don't blame them for that at all. But but there was a <laughs> there was like two years of them not showing up in any meaningful way to a major U.S. convention and stock problems beyond navigators. Um, they were having difficulty getting just the metal models of the other teams. The only thing you could get for the longest time were their new uh, PVC models in the in the boxes, the farmers, blacksmiths, and then all of the min- the ones that came in the big long boxes that they end up using for uh, God tier now. Those models you could find anywhere, but any of the old models for the game, the individual blisters of characters, then or any of the, they did a reboot of the old models. They remodeled them and put them back out into a new uh, plastic kit so that people could play some of the old teams that existed. You weren't able to get your hands on those for two years. Yep. That's that's outside of the act. That at that point we can start taking away from the navigators crashing in the ocean, which was just you know hilariously uh, you know, metaphorical. Um, and then, but but the game just was not supported in the U.S. in any meaningful way for a, a long time as they figured out their own distribution and logistical issues. Especially, and I have a lot of friends that are you know local game store owners here, and I talk to them about Steamforge all the time where they were having difficulty getting them to fulfill any orders whatsoever, even when the distribution was supposed to be working. And then for Steamforge to turn around, go to a big trade show in Vegas and talk to them about, hey, we're going to start distributing direct. We're not going to go through a distributor. You're going to have to order your models from us. At a trade show full of other distributors. You know, it's kind of like... Okay, because Privateer Press was trying to do that too, and that was upsetting a lot of uh, game owners too, where there was things you couldn't get from Privateer Press unless you went directly through them as well. Um, And that was just frustrating game owners to know, or game store owners to no end, because it's so much easier for them to put in one big order to that one place and getting everything they need to fulfill their stores versus I've got to do this one for comics, I've got to do this one for board games, and then i got to do a privateer press order and a steam force order and this order, like it just makes it way more difficult for them. Um, and they, they get them at different times and at different situations. So they can't tell when they're going to put stuff on the shelf. Are they going to get it earlier than the street date? When can they sell it? When can't they sell it? Um, there were a lot of stores that were putting out stock on the floor before it was officially released. Um, you know, it was just a nightmare uh, for everybody. And so that's more what people were concerned about, not just, the navigator act of God situation. <laughs> oh, of, of course. I, I mean, I, I, if I were writing this, I would have made some sort of, you know, cheeky reference to that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. As kind of a hand way to say, we know distribution hasn't been perfect. Yeah. Um, that's one way to say to, it. To, to at least acknowledge the problem yes. in the community. Um, been nice. I, 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 I can certainly understand why if I was really passionate about a game, this might've rubbed me the wrong way. I would say, there were certainly some takes that were um, on the extreme end of spicy. Uh, l- l- let's put it like that on Facebook. Um, I probably wouldn't go with those either, but I-, I do understand how this this would be upsetting. But uh, on the note of, okay, so this happened. 
if you're a guild ball player and you want to continue playing guild ball, uh, are there good places people can go to try to meet other guild ball players? Are there any community initiatives you're aware of of uh, trying to you know keep support or development support for the game going? I was gonna say before we hop into that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. sorry. Last part because um, I think it's important when we note like um, about how Steamforge ended the support for the game is to kind of keep in mind what the alternative was because you know Owen and I have been part of gaming communities when when the when the games died and a lot of times you you don't get a definitive end when a game goes um you know all of a sudden you start to see some of those same kind of problems like huh i'm having like a hard time getting this or i'm having a hard time getting that but uh i'll just get it i'll get it the next time it's in stock you know like yeah. or you know like i'll pick it up here oh well you know this tournament was a little bit smaller you know or you know this company is not coming out to a show as much um all right like we'll see what happens and then all of a sudden like your game store is just like yeah uh we can't get this game anymore <laughs> like, we just discontinued it and i think we felt that pain over those couple of years where steamforge was slowly kind of dying the game out by not doing that and so by the time this year came around we were hoping we had our fingers crossed that we would they would get past COVID or use the COVID time to kind of develop internally what they needed to get what they would call what we called season five. Um, Cause we're in the, we were in the fourth season of the game leading up to this, you know, where they had gone through the fourth big rules change with the new book and all of the fluff. And then we were hoping we were going to get one more season out of it, finish the last of the guilds that were available that they wanted to make done. And then we figured the game might be dead from that point. We thought sure. we, we were, we were assuming Steamforge was going to be out of it. We were just hoping they would quote unquote, finish the game before they did that. And I think you would have a lot less community, uh, anger and uh, toxicity about it if that had happened. Mm-hmm. But the but when they did it in the way that we kind of were discussing, where they were kind of leading us along with, oh, don't worry, stuff's coming. Don't worry, we have ideas. Don't worry, you guys are getting your own keynote, and we're going to talk about it. You know, news for Guild Ball. Um, there's even a Discord uh, screenshot that I'm sure is floating around uh, from the uh, again Rich Loxham from the company putting out this thing saying you know, hey, what's going on with Guild Ball for the keynote? And he's like, don't worry, you guys get taken care of soon. And then like a big winky face and a big thumbs up. And and people then started posting that like crazy after this announcement came because it was not done as a, he, you know, shouldn't have said anything, first of all, but definitely shouldn't have said it as a, don't worry, you guys are going to be okay. And then kill the game. Like it just was like a weird bait and switch mm-hmm. or kind of a rope-a-dope that I think took people a little bit off, off edge. Um, so yeah, I think we experienced that slow death for those years leading up to this to now. Still got a few new things, and then just having the game get chopped off abruptly was uh, just di- difficult for people, disappointing for people. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, getting into my uh, Captain America PSA, like yes, please so, do. So you know your your game just died. Um, and- <laughs> Spin the chair around, sit in it backwards. And, and Turn your cat backwards, talk to the teens, you know. Um, you know, for, for for those of you like who haven't been here before, um, mm. there's a lot of things you can do, you know, and, and the best thing I can really suggest to players, you know, is don't sell your shit immediately. Like, um, I think that happens with like a lot of games. People get frustrated as it dies and then they just like, nope, like, I just don't want this in my house. Like, I have 18 teams, like, $5. <laughs> you know, just like, like, take my stuff. Um, 
And a lot of times when I've seen people do that, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like seller's remorse, you know, mm -hmm. because they look back at like, Hey, I had, you know, four years, six years of like great guild ball experiences. Uh, and now I, I don't even have like the models anymore. Um, right. And outside of that, there's a lot of other dead games out there that still have a good community. And just because there's not going to be regular rules updates and just because there's not going to be new models coming out, doesn't mean that you still can't have fun with the, the models that you have and the game that you have. So, you know, um, that, that letter and that kind of um, that big sale were good opportunities for people who either wanted to kind of get into the game or to kind of shore up, um some teams and you know people you know even if you're still a little bit burnt and you don't want to even look at those models for the next year like that's fine too but you know keep in mind that there's definitely going to be people who still want to play the game there's definitely going to be an opportunity to do more with what you have um and i think that kind of brings us to you know keeping the game going which is you know, tune into the Facebook groups and stuff like that. Like right now, yeah, there's there's a lot of upset people. You know, there's a lot of negative kind of morale, but there's also a bunch of people showing, hey, we ran this tournament, you know, or here's here here's some new painted models. Um, there'll be some people who are putting up good proxy models um, that people can use if they can't find the right models. There'll be people who are putting up 3D prints and STL files like, hey, you know, um, can't find like veteran honor anywhere. Here's this thing that I put together, <laughs> you know, um, feel free to use it. Um, and being part of that, those social media communities definitely helps to keep all that stuff going. It also helps to find new games. Yep. Uh, Discord has the Guild Ball Zone, which has a number of uh, different Guild Ball topics and reserves. And I think there's a number of people in there that are involved in a relatively big project in an attempt to keep writing the rules because they told us what those new teams were and they want to pick up that project and start developing those teams. Um, mm -hmm. When you buy into the game, there are teams that are they call the major leagues, but then there's also minor league teams that you can play along with them that are small subsections of the main team. So for example, the butchers are the major leagues, the minor league version of them are called the cooks. And they had a number of those going along, and there were four of them, I think, that were left unmade. And there is a community project now in an attempt to make those four teams, um, which, are, which are just a captain, a mascot, and then four other players to make a nice six-man box for you of characters. And then they can take two models from that team to play in the majors, and they can take two major league players that will come down and play in the minors so that you can have a roster of eight if you wanted to play them in tournaments. Um, so I, there is a community project out there, I think, to continue making those teams and to go forward. And then just in general, being involved with the Guild Ball supporters uh, group, as well as the Discord, I think I've seen that more than any other game I've played, though I haven't played many games that have died. There's a lot of posts in there of people playing around the world, like in Thailand or in Germany or Brazil. I'll see these random posts that in, at the beginning of every single one of it, it says Guild Ball is still alive. Mm -hmm. I'm playing in a tournament in this. Or Guild Ball is still alive. I'm playing a tournament in Berlin. Guild Ball is still alive. We're playing in Scotland. 
Guild Ball is alive. We're playing in New York City. We're and you're watching it all over the place as these. I mean, there's definitely the salty posts as we've described, but there's still people that just say, "I want to keep this game going and I want to keep playing this." And then the YouTube video battle reports are still out, and they will start their stream with Guild Ball is still alive. We're going to do a farmers versus you know order matchup, and you get to watch those games played out, and you get to kind of enjoy yourself. On top of the fact that there's many ways to play the game online, if you don't own the models, but if you want to learn how the game is played, there's a ton of places where you can play it online. I think there's uh, Tabletop Simulator has an official mod with some of the modeling on it um, that only has like four teams, but they don't have everything. Vassal, I think, is still being updated that has all of the teams in it and has a Guild Ball mod in it. That's fantastic. There was one I wanted to bring to your guys' attention too, which I recently learned about from a friend of mine. There's a game, there's a, a website, it's called Wartable, all one word, dot online. It's a gentleman mm-hmm. up in Minnesota uh, who decided to make a module, like, online way, and it's all a web browser-based version of playing nice. War Machine and Hordes. You can play Judgment on it, and he has a Guild Ball mod for it, and it has all of the characters. Um, and so there's many ways you can play this game online, even if you don't have the miniatures, that could keep the game living beyond not being able to buy stock and stuff you could still play this game and have fun with friends and especially in this time of the pandemic um if more current maybe not for people listening back to this one maybe we're back to normal um playing online is a big way of being able to maintain your friendships and socializing and keeping yourself entertained in these times and especially as we're coming into the winter I would love to get some Guild Ball games on this war table. It's actually a really fun module that keeps track of everything incredibly well, very well detailed. Um, but otherwise, Vassal and Tabletop Simulator are other ways that you can keep the game alive and learn how to play it. All the rule books are downloaded into it. Um, all the new cards and everything are in it. Um, tokens, everything you need. Awesome. Um, is War Table a subscription service? Does it cost anything, or is it just free to anybody? Free to anybody. Awesome. You can you can sign Sweet. up and Patreon it if you want to. I don't know if it gives okay. you any bonuses or anything like that, but it's a guy's just doing it because of the love of these games that he has, and he had a lot of time. He's a programmer, and he had a lot of time on his hands, and he decided to post it up. I have not played in it yet, but I've goofed around with it, and I've really enjoyed it. It's just war games in your browser, and those are the three games that he's built so far is... War Machine, Judgment, and Guild Ball, which are some of the three big uh, miniature games out there right now. That's uh, that's excellent. We'll definitely include a link in that uh, in the show notes. Okay. So if people are interested, they can uh, track that down. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lance. Yeah, no problem. And uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll give one just general comment here. I, I don't think Chris and I take many uh, hardline stances on this podcast, but uh, here, here's one I think we can both agree to. Please, 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 even if you're upset about your game dying, do not record a video of yourself burning your army and put it posted to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes like kind of a goof thing. Like it's something that can be brought up later when the game gets resurrected and you're like, do you feel good now, idiot? Like, <laughs> you could have put those models in a bag and left it in the back of your game closet and you could have pulled those out when they, you know, two years later when they relaunch season five and you can play your models again. But now we get to show this picture of you burning your army and now you're crying because you could have been able to play the game again. Unless you're so mad at the company that you just, even if they come out with a new version of it, you just don't want to bother playing with them anymore. I'm not to that level uh, really, but I would, if they restarted Guild Ball, I would be more than excited uh, to, for them to do that. Um, but in the meantime, I, the models are still good. The game is still good and pretty balanced. 
I'm going to play with friends. Like I'm, I have friends that I've gotten into this game and other people that if I can go to conventions and somebody can tell me ahead of time, Hey, I want to get a couple of games of guild ball in with you. I will pack all my models and I will bring everything and I will play a number of games of guild ball with anybody who wants to play at a convention. Uh, and if steam forged is there, it's all the better, like show them that the game isn't dead, that there is a community of people that are still willing to play it and aren't so upset with them that they are literally burning their models online. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that brings us into like our next kind of section here, which is reasons that you might love the game. When we're talking about like bringing your models to a show, because you know, sometimes there there might not be a ton of tournaments, but you're going to be able to get in games at a convention. Um, Dead games just thrive at the convention level. You're you're talking about bringing six to 10 models. You know, which is so easy. Like, even if you're flying, <laughs> six to ten models is nothing. Um, <laughs> I'm bringing every team in the game, though, usually. So, and I have everything for everyone. So, I'm usually bringing <laughs> the entire game experience to the convention. So that if you, even if you don't have anything, you can play anything you want, and we'll play the game. Like, <laughs> I'm so, bringing the entire game to you, <laughs> and you just choose whatever you want to. For those of us who don't have hoarding issues, yeah, um, you know. Besides yeah. that. <laughs> You know, the, the small model count is definitely um, a, a selling point to a lot of people. Um, the fact that, you know, it's it's a low amount of hobby time that you have to put into making a team. Absolutely. Um, you know, that you only have to paint a few models makes it really easy. Um, that it's easy to transport. All of, all of those things are usually pros for, for most people. It's easy to get um, into a lot of teams, though, too. Uh, yeah, uh. And I mean, that, that, too, if, if you decide, you know, like, hey, I'm going to have, like, you know, I'm going to have four teams because I want my friends to be able to play. It does make it really easy to be able to, like, all right, I'm going to have, like, one bag. It's going to have four teams with full rosters. Mm-hmm. And um, there you go. Yeah. Um, the game... Uh, into the other reasons why people might enjoy and jumping into the game, like the competitive scene, the fact that the game ended in a balanced fashion, like nothing was, it's not like you look at where the game ended and it's like, Oh man, like farmers are completely broken, you know? And mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, nothing can be farmers. Like the game actually ended in a pretty good spot where, you know, the teams are all pretty well balanced and the rules themselves don't have like a lot of like weird loopholes or crazy things that people can take advantage of, you know, so it's still a competitive game and a balanced game um, for those that are looking for something like that. Agreed. I I would just add to that too. A lot of the dead games you're going to see people play, particularly at conventions, um, the community around them tends to be a little bit more casually focused. I think for all the reasons we talked about earlier though, if you are interested in a game that's more competitively focused, even though it's not currently supported, Guild Ball, just by design, is going to be, uh, I think, somewhere you're going to find yourself being very happy. Yes. It's also an incredibly, it's a game that's going to keep you engaged all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to constantly be watching what your opponent does and be running through scenario after scenario in your brain of what what are you going to do next based on how their turn their one model's activation goes, you then get to respond. So you're constantly engaged with the game. You care what they're doing. You have things you can do during their turn to help make it more difficult for them or to make it more interesting. So there's just constant decisions to be made, and it's an incredibly engaging game from that perspective. So Lance, definitely. <laughs> we hit on like a lot of the reasons that Guild Ball is sweet and people are going to want to play it. Can you think of any 
reasons that a game might not be for someone like this might just not be the game if blank i mean if you're not into sports um if you think if you like the idea of mass army combat with huge fields of battle telling some sort of cinematic story of of war on a massive scale a Mm -hmm. small skirmish game may not be your jam which is totally fine. A sports game may not be your jam. Like you, there's a lot of people that I tried to get into guild ball and they just be like, I don't really like sports games. I mean, to be fair, I don't like sports that much. (laughs) I'm not like, you know, like outside of hockey, like I'm not huge into sports, but um, I found what I liked in the butchers for this game. Like being able to do some murder is means that you could ignore what's happening with the ball. (laughs) Right. Like if, if that changes your game style plan, I mean, honestly, for me getting into 40 K now, as I discussed earlier, I was looking through all the armies in the game and there was just so many of them. And I'm like, which one has the simplest game plan? And like in my mind, so I, I picked Space Wolves because literally all of them are just like, this is the army that runs forward. And if it doesn't get shot off the table, it murders everything in close combat. I'm like, well, that seems simple. I'll just run forward. You're like, so for you, it's you did the butchers in that exact same format because you're just like, man, that ball kicking sir looks tricky. What if I just kill everyone? And that was, and honestly, that's what that team was designed for was for people that didn't really care about playing the soccer game that much. Other than that, if everybody is dead, I guess I'll play some soccer. You know, that's kind of their their goal yeah. goal for it, and it makes it really a nice, easy level to go in on. And that's why the first two teams were Butchers, which were the super killy team, and the Fishermen, which were the super goal scoring team. Because if you wanted to be fine, finesse, cool movement, and great ball scoring capabilities, and you wanted to get way in the weeds on that, the fishermen are there for you. If you don't care <laughs> about any of that, and you just want to rush your models forward and try to put knives into people's throats, you have another team that can do that. And uh, you just go forward that way. Fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but, I mean, not liking sports in real life may not preclude you to not liking sports in your games. That wasn't what I was insinuating. It was people that don't like sports games. Because there are people that have tried Blood Bowl and said, uh, this doesn't really work for me. Or I'm trying to think of other good sports miniatures games out there. I'm sure there's a few of them. Um, uh, Dread Bowl, Dread I think, Ball. is the other Yeah, one. something like that. They saw it as just a different version of that or a skin of those kinds of things. And if they particularly don't care about soccer in their real lives, they certainly don't care about soccer for this. Um, or they just don't want to mix it with their games or something like that. There's lots of ways why they may not like that perspective. So if you don't, you're not a big fan of skirmish, if you're not a big fan of sports in your games, um, not necessarily in your real life, that would be something that could probably turn you off. Um, it's it, because of the precision, depending on who you're playing against. If you're playing against some friends and you're drinking and having a good time, measurements get way wonky. Like, you don't have to sit there with like little, you know, miniature, uh, you know, measuring sticks and moving your stuff around. You do in competitive play when people are playing competitively, they want it to be like super precise. But when you're just playing for your friends, it's not that big of a deal. But it does require some measuring and some widget usage just to play the game in general. And some people may not like that. Mm-hmm. Beyond a tape measure, like you need more than a tape measure. You need a, ba- a ball scattering template. You need like a half moon where the ball is going to go when you pass and miss. Um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. They might not like it. It may be less hobbying than they want to do. Like it, it because there's only six men, it makes it difficult for them to do like a full hobby scale thing. Though I've certainly seen people do it with like goal decorative goalposts 
Um, or people will create army trays where they put all their armies on and it's a giant diorama of like the woods and all the hunters are in the woods, you know, stuff like that. You can, you can certainly get into that if you really want to, but they just see it less because they're only bringing 10 models to the tournament. They feel less than, you know, uh, showing up with a giant Warhammer three story diorama of, you know, Tyranids crashing from underground or whatever kind of crap you want to come up with. They might think it's less than that for that perspective. Right on. I mean, I, just from my perspective, I like Guild Ball. And if I went to a convention and there was like a Guild Ball show up and play, get some games event where it was not a, a tournament, mm-hmm. I think I'd find myself at home. I personally, I don't think I'm in a spot where I know the rules well enough to sure. really give someone a good competitive game. And, you know, we've all been there where oh, yeah. you have someone that's totally new to the game in a tournament and it's like, um, uh, where's this number on my... It, yeah. and, and sometimes that can be a negative play experience for someone that's really looking to scratch that itch. So sure. I, I would say, you know, definitely know your event before you go into it. And real talk, if you're looking to play a game at three in the morning after 12 beers... Unless your opponent's also in the same spot, this this might not be the, uh, the game. <laughs> but, yeah, it's going to require a little bit more precision than what you can really pull off on. But if both of you are in the tank, it's pretty fun. Um, I'm not going to. Oh, yeah. I I like playing Guild Ball when I'm slightly tipsy. Um, I was going to say more, like or more. Mine and Lance's <laughs> games have been at that point. <laughs> like, I think so. Late at night, you know, twelve years. I've ever tank. played Chris <laughs> not <laughs> not half in the bag already. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> but that's true. I'm feeling like we missed uh, the playbook mechanic. Did I not talk about that at all? You, you did mention the playbook and spending in order to use playbook, but you didn't yeah. mention how the dice pool could contribute to it. Okay, yeah, whoops. <laughs> Sorry, that's kind of a key component to the game, but that's all right. Uh, you can look it up online. There's plenty of places online, I think, that have how to play Guild Ball videos. You can certainly take a look at any of those and see whether the mechanics are interesting enough for you. It is, it's all D6-based, and you roll to attack, and you go against their defense number and there's an armor that comes off of it. And then you get a, a list of plays of things you can pull off. that are these little dots and you just choose, uh, you have a list of columns that just unlock and you can choose any dot in that system that you want to do the thing you want to do. And it's pretty fun. It just increases your chances and the luck of being able to do that with some strategy to it. Yeah. So speaking of our, you know, drunken shenanigan games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and have you, have you had some favorite moments in killed ball? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Guild Ball is a game that I enjoy playing. I got in season one, played a bit, and uh, other games just were a little bit more interesting at the time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of let it sit my shelf through season two. I uh, had moved from the Midwest to uh, the East Coast. In the meantime, picked it back up in season three. Uh, played with my roommate a bit, went to a store, and it j- just really the moment when uh, the Hunter's Captain Scatha clicked for me. Hmm. Who, um, just was just a mechanical joy to play, having a second ball on the field. And hmm. it, it sounds trivial when you read the, oh, okay, she can put a ball. You can't, you don't really get points for score. Like, why would, and, and playing on the board though, where, oh man, I can move here and here. And he, it, Super it, it, it was, it was just a, a really fun puzzle to play with. Yeah. Um, and like finally, like cracking that, that mystery was, was just like a, it, it really reinforced what I, I loved about Gibble. Right on. How about you guys? So um, I'm actually going to look at it as um, one of my better Guild Ball overall memories. <laughs> um, was uh, Adepticon 2016 um, was the year that Steamforge had that huge, gigantic booth. It was my first year uh, working the Muson Minis booth at Adepticon. 
Um, and it was also the year that we didn't have enough chairs. <laughs> so like the majority of the day I was in the vendor hall, which for those of you who have been to Adepticon know it's it's straight concrete. Yeah, it's just uh, cement. <laughs> yeah, so after about like eight hours of doing that, I would just wander over to the guild ball area, which was carpeted, and I would lay on the floor because my back and knees hurt so much. And, <laughs> and everybody was really cool with it. <laughs> like, yeah, why not? Yeah, people were just like, hey, like Chris, what's Pretty going standard. on? standard. Like, having full conversations with people about guild ball while on my while back. On the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like you do. Um, uh-huh. And um, after that, you know, uh, the Steamforge uh, crew um, took me as well as uh, all the pundits out to Portillo's. We got to have some Chicago-style hot dogs while talking about Guild Ball. And then we came back, and it was kind of just a group of the pundits, the Steamforge staff, um, and the Muse people who were there. And we got to play some games and just kind of like hang out and decompress from a long day. And it was just such a pleasant experience. And even though I was still fairly new to the game at that point, I'd only been playing for about like six months, you know, like it, it was, it was a good experience. I didn't feel like I got completely trounced. You know, I, I won a couple games. I lost a couple games, but none of them were like negative play experiences. Everything was just really fun. Um, and it was just a, it was a great chance, like just great community um, and a lot of fun. <laughs> so, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I was working the Steamforge booth myself, and I was on my you know legs most of the time, running demos pretty well, solid for four for uh, four days, and they worked and worked like crazy, and they rewarded me incredibly handsomely for it. Um, I had such a blast at that convention feeling part of that team and group of people and running the demos and everybody that I ran demos for seemed genuinely excited. And I got a really good, you know, patter down of running the demos fast and everybody was impressed. And so I, I couldn't complain at all about that convention. That was really good. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I also totally forgot. Um, that led to me getting to commission paint uh, for one of the Steamforge uh, staff, which was, yeah, you did. Super awesome. Yeah, I, I almost a winter thing, didn't that. you? Uh, yeah, it was the ice, uh, the ice themed Viking um, fisherman fish. Yeah, um, I couldn't remember what it was. It was like there was uh, glaciers all over the bases and things like that. I thought it was really yeah. rad looking. <laughs> yeah, um, that was that was possibly one of the best jobs I've ever done. <laughs> but, um, you know, like looking at it, it was just like, man, I I was so over the moon with that. Like, I had started commission painting recently, and I was like, oh my god, like yeah. I'm painting for the company that makes the game. This is so cool. Um, so it was just more uh, more guild ball fun that year. Very cool. Um, if I were to choose mine, I actually have a couple. Uh, one was. We, there was a tournament here. The big tournament in the Midwest here for the last couple of years has been Second Wind, uh, which is in Chicago. Uh, the Chicago guys are kind of the big uh, meta around, at least in our area, of super competitive guys that are incredibly cool. Uh, uh, Vince and Pat and... Um, uh, I can't remember his name. Um, and another couple guys over there, they would run conventions in uh, brewery. Uh, so I was able to play in like the brew room where the big tanks were. I was playing Guild Ball in, and I ended up going. I think I ended up going three and three for an entire weekend, but got best in faction for uh, blacksmiths when I was playing them at the time. 
there was only a few blacksmith players. So luckily I was, I had a lot of uh, good chances <laughs> of winning it. Uh, nice. But, uh, but I, but I won best in blacksmiths, which was a very proud moment for me and being able to promote the event and get there. They even bought us, a, you know, beers for me and uh, Dan for uh, hyping it on the pitch for a significant period of time. And it was a really big convention. There was game tables going all over the place, downstairs, in the brew room, in the main room. It was great. Um, and then the other one would have been when I got to go to SteamCon in, uh, in Manchester, in the UK. And I was able to meet a ton of the UK guys. And then I ended up getting a game against uh, Rich Keeling. He was a um, Beard Minis. He did a bunch of battle reports on YouTube that I think he still has on YouTube. I don't know if he's removed them or not. Um, but I got to play him late night in Manchester while drunk. And we were surrounded by a ton of British people. And I, I will admit this right now, I lost every game of Guild Ball I played when I was in the UK. Like, I didn't bring any of my models with me, but I was borrowing other people's. But I got to play <laughs> at the Forge, which is Steam Forge's like, headquarters. They have a game room in their headquarters. We played there, got trashed, or got, got beat up real bad, then played a couple of games at the convention and got beat all of the time that I played. It was they, they were at a way higher level than I was playing the game at. But I was playing against Rich, and he was just crushing me. But we had at least... I mean, it had to have been 15 people around us just watching the game. And we were joking and goofing around. I was doing British accents and they were just dying. And we had so much fun. I lost that game badly to Rich, but I, I will never regret the fact that I got to play him. And with that, such a huge you know crowd of an audience of people just laughing with us and all having a great time and just shouting insults back and forth at each other. It felt like being in a real like soccer match <laughs> or in a, in a, you know, a, a European football match. Cause it was guys like throwing, you know, insults at each other. Some people were cheering me on. Some people were cheering rich on and it was going back and forth and it was just an absolute blast. So that'll be one of my favorite memories of guild ball will be playing in the UK. Awesome. <clears throat> so, uh, Owen, any uh, favorite model that you have for the Guild Ball range? Yeah, and I, I know you, you're going to laugh at me for being basic, but uh, <laughs> I, I think my, my, my favorite model, honestly, is a Veteran Gunner. Um, you know, Ooh. not the most outlandish pose, not the, you know, most uh, detailed model in the world, but I bought the uh, first box set that came out after the Union and Chains event where former Union members were assigned to different guilds. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Gutter uh, came in that box. I don't play butchers, but I had picked up the box and saw the model, and it was just perfect for the things I like in, in miniatures. It was a very, very simple model. I think it's a one or two piece model. There's no particularly fiddly pieces of it, unlike the original Gutter, who um, could be a bit, a bit delicate. Um, <laughs> Those were their you know, first it, edition models that were incredibly fragile. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. It, I, I was kind of dreading having another gutter in, you know, on the paint table. I was like, oh, this is actually, uh, this, this is quite nice. Um, detail where it needs to be, no detail where it, there didn't need to be. Has a lot of character, um, both in terms of facial expression without being, you know, screaming at the top of her lungs or, you know, the old W, you know, arms above her head <laughs> while yelling those. Um, just very expressive, a real treat to paint. Um, yeah, it, it, I painted that model before I painted the model I bought the box for, which was... Uh, Veteran Minx. So is that the yeah, one that I, has like the half the suns on the chains, the like chakram kind of things on the yep. ends of it with the little sunburst coming out of them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I just want to make sure I knew which one you're talking about. Yeah, and I'll, we'll put pictures of these up in the, the show notes so yeah, people please do. listen to this are like, oh yeah, I've, I've got a great idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> how about you, Lance? 
Oh, I've been thinking about this. You you mentioned it kind of before I came on of the idea I had to think of a model. So I was going through everything that I owned. And I would say the one that I think has the most character, and it's honestly because I really enjoyed the character's story arc throughout their entire progression, um, was uh, Seasoned Brisket. Um, she was the leader of the... She becomes the captain of another team. She was just a normal squatty model. And in the, her first incarnation, she looks kind of like a barmaid with like giant butcher knives that she throws around. So she's wearing like the apron, the low cut blouse kind of, you know, the, the tight leather pants and, and an apron on, and she's hucking, you know, knives and uh fillet or fillet or however you pronounce it, depending on UK people, they'll call it one thing or another. And then they tell a story in there where she essentially gets stabbed a bunch of times by this uh, assassin um, snakeskin. Uh, and she gets attacked and you know, like brutally attacked and she was this beautiful girl and then by the end of it in her veteran version she's all hardened and she has all these cut marks on her face and body and she's carrying this giant like you know polearm cleaver kind of thing um and that model that model super serious looks a little it's kind of interesting but it's it's not quite what i was looking for kind of felt kind of gw with having the she has her stave on her back and she's like wrapping her arms over the top of it kind of thing. And it looks pretty cool. But then she eventually goes over to the church team because she gets kicked off of the butcher's team due to internal politics in the story. And she moves over and the church team hires her. She's not even part of the faith. They're just like, we need somebody to lead this rabble and teach them how to play the game and score goals because you're a really good goal scorer. She was kind of one of those weird models in a team that was meant to kill. She could kind of kill but she was much more about scoring goals. So to have her develop out of the butchers and into the church team, she became a, a captain um, of that team and led them. And then she gets this kind of cool coat. She gets a couple of little blades that she has with her, but she looks much more of like a developed character and has just all these little intricacies on her, um, this long coat that you can paint up, you know, purple kind of, which is the purple and gold and cream color is kind of what the order is based on. So she has that and then all these little intricate details on the model. I just thought it was a neat ending to her story of having her go from this, you know, cutesy barmaid character to this seasoned coach um, and having the model reflect that story. Right on. How about you, Chris? It's really tough. Um, it, it's it is. Because really I, I think outside of all of the mascots, uh, <laughs> which again was like part of what made the game a little bit more interesting. I think I always had more fun painting up all the various <laughs> assortment of critters, you know, sure. that, people like dogs and cats and octopuses, pigs, <laughs> like, literally, like literally all of the animals. It was always just like so awesome. Um, like for me, Guild Ball was usually about the rules. Like the rules is really what kind of sucked me into it. So any of the models that I was looking at, it was impossible to kind of separate in my head. Like, well, why is this my favorite? It's like, because it did this on the table. Um, yeah, not because of how it looked, just how it performed. Yeah. And <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of it will always go back to season two, which is what, where I had the most, like season two, I was playing like three or four games a week. Like, sure. So, um, I actually have three because they, they were on every, like, um, both captains of the butchers, um, Ox and Filet, mm -hmm. uh, were, were phenomenal. I think Ox, um, as a model, performed very similar to how uh, Butcher One performed in War Machine. And Butcher One was always my favorite caster. So it was a really easy transition for me, and it helped me get into the game. Um, 
and it was it was he he's fairly idiot proof like you know it's like i'm going to walk up and everything's going to do more damage you know it's just it wasn't it wasn't tough to learn um fillet let me kind of grow i think in the game where fillet was a little bit more glass cannon but there Very was much so more yes. <laughs> potential for damage i mean especially before her nerf um yeah crazy killer model (laughs) crazy crazy things would happen and i think the other big thing is um it she um encouraged me to take a completely different butcher's list than i was taking with ox you know because you wanted the extra bleed on the table things like meat hook who Mm -hmm. at the time would never be in an ox list you know i would find and put on the table things like boiler to increase the movement threat um would also come out so it was it was good because it challenged me as a player to learn new things and it as a modeler for me to paint more models <laughs> um mm-hmm. and then la- uh, lastly is tenderizer um tenderizer was possibly the mvp of every single game i played in season two <laughs> um as the goalkeeper there were so many times where i didn't even allocate him any influence he would <laughs> literally just sit six inches from the goal and the way it used to work with tenderizer is if he was within six inches of the goal, and I believe another model ended within six inches of him, yeah, um, yep. he could just charge them for free. Yeah, um, countercharge. Yeah, yeah countercharge. Yeah, and he mm. had a super, super easy to access knockdown. So someone come up to try and score, you would smash them when they would get knocked down. The ball would just fly somewhere where, like, in completely like a random direction. And then everything was good because then the rest of the butchers could kind of crowd in, murder whatever model had the audacity to try and score on me. Mm-hmm. And um, my mascot would usually just take the ball and run backwards so no one else could get it. <laughs> so, sure. yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, he used to have this super goofy model that I hated at first. Um, but eventually, like, you, I grew to love it. Like, he, he's swinging this gigantic meat tenderizer, like, into the floor, and his entire body weight is, like, balanced on it. But, like, the tenderizer is super exaggerated. It's bigger than he is. His mm-hmm. legs are, like, super short. Like, he, he looks like a little person with, uh, like, a goalie mask. And- yeah, a hockey mask <laughs> on, yeah. He's supposed to be like a Jason kind of story with the, yeah, and he's got the hammers down between his legs and his legs are out to the sides and almost above his arms. Like it's a, a very exaggerated, like Mario smashing a barrel kind of <laughs> pose. And imagine the contact point is the hammer. So you're, you're putting him on the base where the hammer is jammed into it. And then he's just flying up in the air, holding on to it. And then a lot of people would add like, you know, broken cork and things around it to make it look like he's smashing the earth and the ground around it. And then they would paint that all up. And there's some very dynamic, uh, tenderizer models out there. Yeah. Which would also lead to problems because it's an all metal model, which would, yeah, <laughs> heavy. would have half the model weight off the base itself. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, weights like, down, you know, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, so absolutely. I, the new one is is a little bit nicer. The new one, like, is a standing model, and his his body actually like makes sense in the context of the game and the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, like I think all the models are are, are nice models. Like um, I want to mention, there's there's like a good amount of detail where you would want to see detail. Um, and for the most part, there's not too many models that have like extra random stuff all over the place. Um, other than a few, there's a few different ones that would have a little bit too much detail on them and a too many 
blades or little um you know ribbons or something coming off of them and just really small contact points so if you're not good at pinning it's very difficult to get some of those models to stay together uh specifically grace um was one of the ones that was even in the i mean as they got along later they got way better at it but then yeah grace is still one of their later models that i think was everybody's kind of nightmare because she had these little pinpoint arms coming off the side like in a cross and she was on one foot coming off of a giant like um kind of a cement thing on the ground like it's a rounded uh, picture of the union and she's jumping off of it with these two blades to the side so the blades would snap the arms would snap she would come off of that little model thing because it's just like one little tiptoe uh on <laughs> coming off of that cement uh uh you know module thing that you're supposed to base her on but um then once they did the full plastic models where they would come assembled then they would have fiddly bits that would be strong enough to stand up to being in you know, cases and things like that. No problem. Sure. Right on. Yeah. So uh, we talked about some awesome models um, in terms of, of where to buy models, Lance, any, any suggestions for people on where to pick up uh, guild, mo- oh, guild ball? Models? There's plenty of guild ball trades and sale uh, groups on Facebook. Check your local mm-hmm. game store, depending on when this comes out, check your game store right now and see if they have any back stock that they're trying to get rid of. Um, I was able to pick up a, no- a few teams that I had been missing so to where now I have the entire line and I was able to get those last few teams at a very, very deep discount. Um, you can find them online certain places. Uh, I think no- you were mentioning like Noble Knight, eBay. Um, yeah, just any of the online retailers that might still have stock and they're trying to get rid of them. They're usually selling them for relatively cheap. Um I don't know if Miniature Market has any. I haven't looked to see if they still have Mini any Guild Ball stock. <laughs> I did actually to research for the episode. Did you? Okay, well then you know yeah. more than I do. What, what, what's going on? Where can people buy this stuff? Uh, Mini Market does actually have a bunch of it. Um, nice. They don't have as deep of a discount as mm. the um, as the uh, you know like the Steamforge store did. Um, yeah, but um, right now they're priced pretty well. Uh, we'll see as it as it goes down. You know, it's one of those things where it's like if there's specific things you want, you want to get them now. Um, if you're more of just like a, hey, I really don't care what I play, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to pick a thing up. Like, I, I think, you know, like uh, check out Black Friday on Mini Market. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, it, it might get like discounted yeah. through the floor. Um, if you really like the old metal models, um, Monkey Sword Games has a bunch of them and those are deeply discounted. I super lucked out with them because uh, I, can't f- I couldn't find my butcher's dice anywhere. <laughs> oh no! So, um, and like the only stores I had found with with them in stock were in the UK. Um, Monkey Sword actually did have a lot of the old faction dice. Monkey Sword. Um, I've never heard of Monkey Sword. That's awesome. Yeah, Monkey Monkey Sword's really good too. Um, uh, it's a smaller shop, but the owner is usually very involved in the community for the games that he plays. Cool. Um, so uh, it's usually where I get my. Uh, my my brushes uh my uh, i think it's the rosemary and co um because okay. there's some uh, pretty solid deals there um so yeah i i do think those those are the areas and and yeah definitely uh local game stores uh they some of their stock might be varied <laughs> yeah very varied because they didn't yeah they weren't able to stock the game for a long time so there might be a scattering of just stuff depending on how popular the game was in their area and how much they bought into it. 
if they have a lot of inventory left over where no one just bought it, you might be able to find some rarer stuff. Um, also, they did a lot of uh, promotional models near the end. There's a lot of limited edition versions of them that were meant to come in like tournament packs and things like that. I know those are having their own kind of individualized market for people trying to complete whole collections of stuff where you can get alternate sculpts of models and things like that too. But most of those you're going to have to find on eBay or on those uh, Facebook groups. They're not going to be for sale in uh, local game stores as much. And speaking of local game stores, it's it's also important when you talk about growing the community, um, for those of you who haven't really experienced the dead game before, <laughs> that um, you still support the local game stores as a place to play unless you know you, you have a super killer you know basement that is gigantic and you don't mind having total strangers there on a regular basis <laughs> um but in order to kind of support that game which isn't going to be bringing money into the game store for now you know running running tournaments and still doing um gift cards if your store has a stock works out pretty well but um Moving forward, being able to encourage your player group to support the store in other ways um, is pretty big. You know, you can run a tournament, you can still do gift cards, even if there's no guild ball stock left, because you still need dice, you still need paints, you know, like <laughs> all all of those other fun things. And, you know, and like with most nerds, you know, um, there's not just one thing at a game store like, oh, they don't have guild ball anymore. I can't find anything else to buy here. That's <laughs> I don't think that's ever really going to be the case for a person, <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> so. Cool. Well, I think with that, uh, we should thank Lance for taking the time to talk to us. Um, no Lance, is there anything else you wanted to say before we sign off? Um, yeah. I, I personally, if you've heard of me before and I've been on you know, the pitch, old pitch episodes are still available, I believe, but I don't, there's obviously no new information. So not a lot's been going on into that. And I don't think we're going to record any new ones or anything along those lines, but you can certainly go to listen to those. Um, I also have a Dungeons and Dragons uh, actual play podcast that I do called D4 on the floor. Uh, we have new episodes coming out every two weeks on Fridays. We're up to episode I don't know, it's got to be like 48 or 49. We record more, so I don't even remember what number we're on officially. So oh, um, we're just telling an overarching Dungeons and Dragons story and I'm involved in that and I'm the editor for it. So uh, if you want to listen to me there, I'm there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. Sure. Um, we'll definitely put links to those in the, uh, the show notes. Um, on, on that note, uh, please uh, check us out on Facebook or Chris's OnlyFans, as we always mention, um, <laughs> any other social media uh, pages. Uh, anything else to add, Chris? Yeah. Um... Not going to do this every episode, but Muse on Minis for Guild Ball. Um, you know, like I do have a, a little bit of a vested interest there, but um, of course. they do uh, still have a lot of the Guild Ball accessories that you're going to want token sets, measurement sticks, widgets that you need, um, even uh, grass basing inserts, you know, for your Guild Ball stuff. Um, the official Steam Forge sponsors ones are only going to be available for a limited time. Um, but I do think there'll be some other products eventually down the line that uh, we'll be able to replace those if you're catching this podcast, you know, a, a year from now or something. <laughs> um, and that's just uh, if you go on the museonstore.com. Awesome. Well, with that, I think we're going to sign out. Thank you so much, to everyone, for listening to us. Uh, 
Next up, I think Chris and I are going to try to do a hobby show, um, the details of which we're still hashing out. But uh, we look forward to having everyone back and listening to that. So with that, thanks for stopping by, and uh, we'll talk to you the next time. See ya. Intro music is Axe to Mouth by Pulp 45, which is Owen's old band. Outro music is Control My Fate by Ataraxia, which is Chris's old band. All songs used with permission. If you like what you hear, please like or subscribe. Thanks. Thanks.